The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations of listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely on our website at kopn.org. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture, and find food truth. And today I'm delighted to bring to you a friend and a colleague, Yasha Steinmetz. She is the author of a great new little book. It's a gem called Eat Local, Simple Steps to Enjoy Real, Healthy, and Affordable Food. Yasha is not only the author of this book, but she is a professor of food and nutrition at the University of Wisconsin. She is a gardener. She is a local food activist. She is a registered dietitian and a fellow member of our practice group, which focuses on hunger and environmental nutrition. In other words, looking at social and environmental justice in the food system. Welcome, Yasha. Thanks, Melinda. I'm so happy to be here. Well, I love this book. The subtitle, Simple Steps to Enjoy Real, Healthy, Affordable Food, Sometimes people talk to me about this idea of eating locally, eating organic food, and they say, yeah, but it's so expensive. How do you respond to that? Well, I think that's why we chose the subtitle about Simple Steps, because the first thing with affordability that I think is really important for people to understand is where is it that you want to put your money that, one, supports the values that you have about food? So that's a lot of people are making that decision maybe a little bit unconsciously, and once they start thinking about it, they almost come to the conclusion that, oh, maybe this is affordable. This piece of my food choice is affordable. And then the other part is people are surprised that once they look at local food, it's not as expensive and is often less expensive than some of the food choices that they're making right now. Mm-hmm. And so a little bit of examination about the actual price of food, and then where does your dollar really support what you believe in? Mm-hmm. And and the choices become a little bit easier because then you can prioritize the changes that you want to make. Mm-hmm. And also as fellow dietitians, of course, we see the world through the lens of food being our medicine, our preventive medicine. And I'm sure you've seen the chart showing the cost of food declining, but the cost of health care having this steep upward line. So, In a way, we can look at food as preventive medicine of the tastiest kind. Oh, yes. I I love the fact that we can talk about health and tasty food together. Absolutely. (laughs) All right. So you've got, I love this, you've got the top reasons for buying local. So I think we should talk about those. The first one is celebrate your family food heritage. One of the subtitles or the subtext of the book that I really wanted to emphasize was this is about joyful eating. This is about celebrating so many different parts of your life that we normally don't connect with food and haven't connected with food for a long time. But if we ask people about food and especially food memories, so much of that is embedded in their family, in in the celebration foods that you have, that your special birthday meal that maybe you had as a child or or holiday foods or my grandmother always made this particular dish or whatever that is. And I think so much of what we do with food is based on those strong family heritage ties. 
we have a local farmer that grows beans mostly for himself that has been in his family for generations and that his family brought from Scotland. Mm. So when he talks about those beans, it's with so much love and memory that you just feel like you have this very special have-to-savor bean dish that he's made because of this long family history that he has. And that's what it's like for so many people. That's Mm -hmm. where it starts. Yeah, I love that. And I think that going back to some of those original foods that our ancestors had would be a step in the right direction for preventive health as well. And one other part about reaching back into your heritage is I think a lot of people would be surprised with the food knowledge that's Mm -hmm. in their family, Mm -hmm. preservation knowledge or knowledge of certain varieties of different foods that maybe are still available locally, but the next generation may not know about that. I met a person on the square who told me about an apple variety that only tastes good when it's been in storage. So it's not until the middle of winter that you really want to be eating this apple. And I was just shocked that that apple existed, that he knew about it, and he knew where to get it locally. Yeah. So there's this whole, like, uncovering the secrets of your family feeling with food and food knowledge that a lot of people might be interested in tapping into before that knowledge disappears from your family. Exactly. I was just going to say we've lost so much in the past few decades, and we have an opportunity to grab it back, but we don't have long. And I agree, if we don't step on that, (laughs) we will have so much, I call it institutional wisdom, that we could lose. So good point. Okay, bridging on to that green bean dish that is making my mouth water, you say, perk up all your senses with fresh food. Is there anything more delicious than something that's been harvested minutes ago? Oh, my. (laughs) The most important part of eating, I think, for myself and for most people are the sensory characteristics. Mm Mm-hmm. And I wonder in whose interest it is, and we could spend a lot of time talking about that, to promote foods that don't have those sensory characteristics. And in my experience, we've yet to be able to rival nature in the variety, the complexity of senses that get excited with food that it's just amazing as you go through the season, all the different flavors and smells and colors that are there that can just amaze us. Uh And every bit of that can be added to attract people to the dinner table or the lunch plate or snacks. And I think that kids intuitively are intrigued by all of that. That if you take kids to a farmer's market, they can open up a whole other experience at the farmer's market that maybe parents may not be thinking about. Mm-hmm. That that play of texture and color and shape is something that, that they'll notice. Mm-hmm. Um, part of it may be the eye level that they're at to be able mm-hmm. to notice that, but the other is that they're still so connected with their senses that that opens up a whole new arena for families, too. Oh, I agree. And how many times have you heard parents or even teachers, sadly, you know, people in the school food arena say, oh, we can make that, but they won't eat it. 
They might not eat it if it comes out of a can and it's been overcooked, but they will eat it if they grow it or if they pick it up at the farmer's market and they help in the preparation. So that whole idea of getting kids connected to food in this way and experiencing it. You mentioned how it attracts people to the plate, those same characteristics that attract pollinators. You know, they attract people, too. (laughs) It's the color and the flavor and the scent. It's you're right. We should be embracing our senses and and not denying the the basic fact that yeah, you know, we're humans. We like to we like the good taste of fresh food. All right, number three. I love this one, Yasha. Honor local farmers and their knowledge. Mm. Yes, farmers in our area and all the farmers that I that I talk to when I travel, they mention their expertise. I I don't think anybody talks as passionately about the land and growing food as farmers. And when I've done workshops in different places, I always like to have a farm panel be part of the workshop because they can tell the story of food better than almost anybody else. They can talk about the challenges of trying to raise good food and then get people to eat it at a cost that will support the farmer. But also, they can talk about the relationship with land and the taste of food from their land that is special for that particular farmer based on you know the terroir of, of the area. And so there's that part of it. There's the part of the legacy of all the different things that they've tried in agriculture to make the land around us really be healthy and supporting us and in their efforts to to really cherish the land and, and keep it going. So there's that piece of it that I think is special for us. And then I think the farmers know our capabilities and, and help us to see the abundance that we have around us that sometimes I think we forget or maybe take for granted or or, or maybe never realized, I would say. Mm-hmm. I have a friend who is in, in the northern Missouri area who has an organic apple orchard. And I, I emphasize organic here because I, too, have found that especially organic farmers – have this incredible wisdom of how to work with nature. Mm. And so rather than, you know, running to the store and buying the cheap and easy herbicide or pesticide and spraying and being done, the organic farmer has to find a little bit more creative ways to work with nature to rid themselves of certain pests. And this particular farmer's name is Dan Kelly, and I'm going to just give a shout-out to him because he is remarkable. And he actually has planted some Queen Anne's Lace in between the trees in his orchard because of their ability to attract bugs that would eat more problematic ones. And so it's this knowledge, as you mentioned, that where the farmer understands how to use other pests and other plants to keep their land and orchard or or crops healthy. I'm glad that you said that about the organics because they – in the classes that I teach, I always have an organic farmer that comes in to talk about soil. 
And I'm sure uh, and we've talked about this several times, and we talk about this in our practice group quite a bit, about any organic farmer that you talk to, they have to pay attention to the ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And the complexity of the soil is being so carefully studied right now in ways that we've never considered or have been able to look at, at soil before. And looking at that microscopic level of soil to see kind of the world in a teaspoon of soil has been pretty exciting, but also to see the things that we can do to either promote that or, as you are talking about with some of the chemicals that we add, not just killing the plants, but we're killing this whole ecosystem of soil at the same time that we hadn't had to think about before. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got a good good farmer friends, um, Jim and Rebecca Goodman, and they're dairy farmers and they also raise meat and they've been organic for a number of years. And one of the things that Jim had mentioned to me was he noticed that after 10 years of being organic, that things changed in the farm. Different insects came, different plants came. He observed different things on the farm as he's been organic longer and longer. And so I think for farmers, giving supporting them so that they can make the change away from a chemically intensive way of farming so that they can see those changes on their farm, that they're able to support what nature is trying to do to balance itself out and attract the insects that they need, the beneficial plants that they need, the microorganisms that they need to to be healthy, that these plants want to have their natural vigor. And with that, we get the phytochemicals that result from that, that help our health. So I think this idea of being in an ecosystem, it it always surprises me that when we talk about an ecosystem, for some reason, humans are always like on the outside looking in mm-hmm. instead of we're actually part of this ecosystem and that as things evolve, we want to be evolving with them. And so being part of that organic agriculture system means we're actually benefiting in in probably many subtle ways that we don't even recognize right now. But just every organism and ecosystem benefits together, and and we're all part of that in in, an organic system. That's pretty exciting. Yeah, I think you brought up a really good point in that Jim and Rebecca have taken the time to observe, and I think the best farmers really are the best observers. They know their land. They walk their land. They they see when things have changed that for those of us who work behind a computer or are away from the land, we don't see the same changes. And it's that kind of ecological wisdom that is so important to preserve. Yeah. All right. Also on your list for top reasons for buying local is the ability to know your food and ask questions about the ways in which farmers are producing food, and they ask questions about food safety. And I personally, and I'm sure you do too, but I I look at food safety beyond bacteria. I look at food safety as I don't want atrazine in my water. I don't want glyphosate or Roundup in my soil. So to me, food safety is also uh, disengaging from chemicals. And only by buying local can you have that conversation with a farmer and say, I'm going to choose to put my food dollars in your hands because I like that you've answered my questions in a way that I feel most confident about the quality of your food. Right. I think, well, there's a couple of things about 
local food and supporting farmers. The first and the one of the reasons for that list at the end of the chapters was to help people recognize that this conversation that we have with farmers or the conversation that we have about food in our communities shouldn't be a scary conversation. So the point of the book was to take the fear out of people that feel like they have to have all of this information before they walk to the farmer's market, before they can approach their farmer and start asking questions. And so the book is to introduce people and move them a little bit farther along than where they're at in their eating so that they can really feel like they can have that relationship with their community and their food. So it's some questions of, here are some first questions that you want to be asking your farmer about that in a way that honors the farmer and what they're trying to do and honors you and your interest in being a consumer and trying to get the the best food possible. But the other part about being able to ask a local farmer is you're really building a relationship with with a farmer to say, I'm willing to support you and your love of the land and the love of growing food, and I would like you to support what I'm interested in, food, and having really healthy food, and keeping that relationship going for generations. I'm not interested in food safety in just this particular meal that I'm getting from you, but I'm interested in food safety for my kids and my grandkids and that next generation and 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 in your kids and your family and making sure that your family can be healthy and safe on the farm in the way that you're growing food. So it's this relationship between we're going to be beneficial partners in this for a long time. And so maybe you're not doing everything that I like right now, but if you're willing to change, I'm willing to change with you and I'm willing to eat seasonal food, and it may be food that I haven't tried before, but I'm I'm willing to experiment with that and learn new ways of cooking it and learning how to preserve food. And then I would like you to change and, you know, think about the practices and get away from some of those chemical additives that you're using or maybe learn a little bit of a different way of planting or changing your crop rotation or whatever it is so that that you can be really happy and successful, and so can I. That's that's a wonderful way to put it. If you're just joining us, we're speaking with Dr. Yasha Steinmetz. She is a registered dietitian, professor of food nutrition, School of Health Promotion and Human Development at the University of Wisconsin in Stevens Point. And she, what we are talking about is her wonderful book called Eat Local, Simple Steps to Enjoy Real, Healthy, and Affordable Food. And it is such a great guide. You've got... There's 45 40, little sections. 45, yeah. And I've focused on questions to ask your farmer. That's chapter 23. The other chapters that I hope we get to, to comment on a little bit are things like foraging, how to, if you're going to a local restaurant, what are the questions we should be asking the, the restaurateur to get more local food in, preservation, money-saving tips, planning, just more subjects related to local food than you ever could have imagined. So let's go back to questions to ask the farmer because I really think that this is a very important part of this book and we don't want to feel like interrogators. 
but we do want to know more about the growing practices. So one of the questions you ask your farmer is, is your farm certified organic or do you follow organic practices? And I find that that question, do you follow organic practices, I've gotten mixed results. Yes, but I just use a little bit of seven dust. Or you find out, yes, but we also use Roundup. So certified organic is really what I look for. Do you want to talk about that at all? Well, in our area, I would say that our farmers are going through a transition. And for organic farmers, especially small farmers, for them to be able to move to organic practices where they have to change a little bit of their farming practices, well, they have to make changes in their farming practices undoubtedly, but they also have to think about their crops differently. And in almost every organic farmer that you talk to will say, I'm really a soil farmer. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I really need to pay attention to the soil in a way that I never had to before. So there's usually a couple of ways that farmers are talking about organic practices. One is, I have a fallow field that I haven't grown anything on for three years. And so I can plant something in that field and I can say that that's organic because I haven't added anything for for three years. And that may be a beginning step for a farmer, but one of the things that you want to talk about with a farmer and help the farmer invest in that is how can they move beyond that and really help build the soil so that they're moving to more sustainable practices so that they never have to go back to feeling that they have to add a chemical input. And and for a farmer, that's a transition for them. It's a transition for them to feel like you'll pay a little bit extra because they'll have to pay closer attention. It means a little bit more labor for them. They can't be on a big tractor and pay attention to the soil in all kinds of places and insects and all the other beneficial plants that might be there. And so it means a little bit more attention from the farmer, which means that's going to be money for the farmer. And they are taking a risk in making that transition. And so for our farmers, when I ask them about organics, definitely if they can be certified, that really is an assurance and answers a lot of questions that maybe the consumer wouldn't have to know about right away. But we also want those other farmers to say, I know you're a small farmer. I would like you to get away from using a lot of the chemicals. How can I help you with that? Mm-hmm. So they're going to talk about pesticides. They'll talk about insecticides. They'll talk about having to add soil amendments. And we can have those conversations, but we can also say, I would also like you, you know, if you could find another organic farmer that is certified in our area, and work with him, I would be willing to buy, you know, your transitional food from you to while you go through this change. Knowing that at the end of this, I would like you to move away from chemically intensive farming. Mm-hmm. So I think that making the transition for our local farmers to say, we'll help you with that risk. So that kind of leads into the chapter about community-supported agriculture. Mm-hmm. Because community-supported agriculture helps you support a farmer as a whole group of people. You pay for that membership to be part of that farm. You get a weekly supply of produce. That helps the farmer move into organic practices much faster because they already have a customer base. 
and you have a customer base that's willing to say, you know what, you can experiment with a couple of different crops no matter what the weather is going to be like this season. I'm supporting you in this because I believe that you're going to be the farmer that I'm going to want to eat from for the rest of the year. And that takes some of the pressure off of the farmer. So if you can find an organic farmer who's also a CSA farmer, that gives the farmer and you room to experiment over a whole season of eating Mm -hmm. and growing. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of relationship with an organic farmer is strong and really helps both you find out what the practices are. You can go to the farm. You can have the farm be willing to experiment, ask questions, try different amendments, you know, use compost in different ways, et cetera. So I think that's a, a really good partnership is supporting them in getting away from chemically intensive farming. One of the questions you have here that you recommend asking the farmer, which I hadn't thought of, this is great, when is the food harvested and what is the optimal storage time and technique? You mentioned that farmers are able to give you storage suggestions. Who would have thought about that, right? But of course they know best how their vegetables are going to store. Yes, farmers are really the expert with some of the food preparation. I think a question that always comes up when you see a food that you may be unfamiliar with when you start eating seasonally is, what are the parts that are edible on that? What should I be trimming away? Should I store it at room temperature? Does it need a cool, dark space? Can I hang it? What kind of air circulation do I need for that? Surprisingly, people can store food in Wisconsin, we can store food over the winter time in a dark closet, in an unheated space that you have. I stored food in a big kind of a hole that I had in the ground one winter because it was deep enough and it was below frost line and I was experimenting. So I had a plastic bin with some sand and I stuck some carrots in and I stored it that way. That was a suggestion from my farmer. So I think they've got so many suggestions about how to immediately eat that food and then how to store it. Tips on which varieties store well. And I think that's the beauty of eating locally is that there'll be varieties in your market that aren't available in any national chain store. And those are particular to your particular area. It means that the growing conditions are perfect and also a lot of the storage conditions are perfect. We only have a minute left, and you have multiple chapters of great nuggets of information, including how to save money, how to preserve the food, additional questions to talk to the farmer, how to do a trip to a U-Pick farm. Is there anything you want to leave our listeners with in particular? I think one of the main points of the book in one of my messages is for families and especially for children and for communities with children. Because one of the transitions that I think that we're going through is having communities realize that we need to think about what food means to us as a family, within our schools, within our communities. And in that way of what is it that we want our kids to know about food? What's valuable about food that we want kids to know and their kids to know. Yasha, I think that that is a marvelous message to send home. And unfortunately, our time is up. But I want to let our listeners know if they want to learn more. If the book title is Eat Local, Simple Steps to Enjoy Real, 
healthy and affordable food, there is a website. It's www.eatlocalsimplesteps.com, which has more information and a blog from Dr. Yasha Steinmetz, who we've been speaking with. She is a registered dietitian. She is at the University of Wisconsin at Stevens Point. And in closing, I want to thank Yasha for being my guest, for writing this critically important book. And to remind our listeners that Food Sleuth Radio is produced at KOPN Studios by Dan Hemmelgarn in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. Yasha, thank you for being my guest. Thank you so much. It's great talking with you. Mm-hmm.